Rocky Top Sunrise is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. Today, Isabella and I are joined by Victoria Manning, the brains behind Sunrise Tennessee's latest action against Senator Lamar Alexander, where we got up at four in the morning to make noise outside of his house because of the injustice of him agreeing to participate in a Supreme Court nomination vote. We talk about the action, and we also put it into the broader historical context of why direct actions are a crucial strategic tool for Sunrise and all mass movements to use to make meaningful change. One, two, one, two, three, four. Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Storm surge and fires burn, but you don't hear the call. Cause fossil fuels keep paying you, does it weigh on you at all? Does it weigh? Rocky Top Sunrise. My name is Cassie. I use she, her pronouns. I'm calling in from Franklin, Tennessee, which is currently on Cherokee, Chickasaw, and Shawnee land. And I'm here with a couple of my good friends, and we'll go around and introduce ourselves. Um, we've got our um, one of our usual hosts, Isabella, is here. Hi, everyone. Um, like Cassie said, I'm Isabella. I'm with Sunrise Knoxville. I use she, her, and I am currently on Cherokee land in East Tennessee. And we are really, really excited to have Victoria on the call. Victoria, want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Victoria. I use she, her pronouns as well. I'm calling in from Nashville, which is Shawnee and Cherokee land. Um, and I work with the direct actions and political strategy team from the Nashville Hub. Yeah, awesome. We're so glad to have um, you on, Victoria. It's like about time we have you on the podcast. Um, so as 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 um, as you just said, you know, you're the, you're the actions lead, and we're having you on today because we actually just had a big action on Tuesday Tuesday morning. It was like Monday night, Tuesday morning. It's always kind of hard to say, but it was at four in the morning. Um, so it was in the middle of the night, essentially. And we wanted to just kind of like debrief that, like shoot the shit a little bit and talk about how it went. Cause um, you know, I mean, it's rare that I get up that early anyway. <laughs> and, but basically we wanted to target, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go through the action for you all and just talk about like why actions are important, why they're so integral to Sunrise's strategy and just kind of, you know, they have a lot, there's a lot of historical con context surrounding like the purpose of actions and especially this wide awake action, which I'd love Victoria to go over in just a minute, just kind of the historical context of that. Um, but they're definitely like a super critical part of our political theory and like how we're, how we want to win a Green New Deal. So, you know, they're, they're definitely, we try to make them as strategic as possible, as purposeful as possible. And this one was directed against Lamar Alexander, who was our, one of our senators here in Tennessee. He soon will not be. He's not running for re-election, um, which is pretty key. And so I'm sure you all hopefully have heard of Marquita Bradshaw at this point. She's the Democrat running for his seat against Bill Haggerty, who's the Republican. And we'll kind of tie that in later. But we wanted to highlight 
The fact that Alexander has said that he will vote for Amy Coney Barrett, um, who has been nominated by Trump for the Supreme Court, and we are pretty outraged by that. But I guess before we get into too much more of that, um, how are y'all doing like post-action? Like, are you get, Have you gotten caught up on sleep? Um, I've definitely slept. I'm definitely still tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Building up to an action, the, you know, you start doing more and more stuff uh, right beforehand. So definitely take in today and tomorrow kind of easy. Good. What about you, Isabella? Yeah, I still feel really tired. I got like 10 hours last night, which is amazing. That's but awesome. it was funny because all of yesterday, I was like, was I awake this morning like what what happened that seems so long ago because I I was up since like three and you know had been up since then so um yeah it's still tired but also like I still feel this weird rush of adrenaline too like wow we just did that like we just created a lot of really cool energy around um what's going on politically right now so yeah yeah that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's there's nothing quite like the the high like that you get from like the energy of an action. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I definitely resonate with that too. Um so yeah, so I guess let's get into more of like just kind of the um the meat of the action, like what we were doing. So um and Victoria as our actions lead, so she planned, you know, this this whole action. Like she was the lead planner and definitely like brought it all together for us and we're super grateful. Um, for all of the work that she did, that you did. <laughs> I think it was a success and you always learn things from them. There's always things that we can learn for future actions. But um, but overall, I, um, I I definitely like think that it was effective. So for, for what we wanted. But yeah, so Victoria, just uh, if you don't mind, like giving your own overview of like what, like what this action was and what was the purpose? Like, why did we choose to do it that way? I mean, if you want to go into the history a little bit of like wide awakes, just like really whatever you like, um, just kind of what, what were we doing out there at four in the morning? (laughs) Yeah. So as you mentioned before, um, the SCOTUS nominee is most likely going to be confirmed via the Republican party in the Senate. Um, And part of that will be Lamar Alexander's yes vote. Uh, and Lamar has kind of always had like a reputation in Tennessee as being a moderate Republican and a sensible guy. Um, and, you know, I've grown up here my whole life and that's the reputation I've heard. And he has just disappointed us time and time and again, um, especially during the Trump years um, by just citing with more and more extremist um, type attitudes to the point of blatant hypocrisy uh, with the confirmation of this seat since he, you know, cited that it was totally horrible to do that with Merrick Garland um, when he was put forth 11 months before the election. Um, so it, it's frustrating to see someone who you were told as a child was like had a good reputation, was a good person, um, that's supposed to be representing you, uh, really let you down. and. Um, just not really show any sign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, uh, you know, Sunrise National has been doing wide awake actions. Um, and clearly Lamar Alexander needs to be woken up because um, he is profiting from all of this. Um, you know, we were outside of his house, which I think is like $2 million or more um, estimated worth. So um, 
you know, he just doesn't care because these things don't affect him. Right. And um, so we wanted to get out there early in the morning to give him a wake up call. And I really um, love the whole purpose behind the wide awake action um, because a, it's like something really disruptive you can do with a small group of people. You know, you don't have to have a thousand people in order to take over a street or something. Um, you can make a lot of noise with, you know, 20 or 30 folks. And then also the historical context behind wide awake actions of, um, it was an abolitionist movement back in the 1800s and uh, they would roam the streets and wake the politicians up in the middle of the night advocating um, for an end to slavery. So I definitely like that we've grounded ourselves in, you know, past movements in America. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, I, I had never heard of them before. And it's just such a, as you said, like it's such a great thing to be able to ground ourselves in um, most importantly, but also just like strategically, as you said, you can do it with not very many people. And so, and it's a pretty, you know, effective action because it is definitely jarring. It's disturbing to like have to be woken up in the middle of the night, even though it's far more disturbing, you know, the consequences of his vote are far more disturbing than being woken up, but it's definitely something that I think gets people's attention. So, which is the whole, whole purpose of that. Um, yeah. Isabella, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally um, resonate with what you both said. I think just the very fact of being at someone's house makes it a personal matter, right? Like we are willing to sacrifice our sleep so you can lose some of your sleep and kind of understand how serious we're taking this, right? Um, so yeah, I think going to the politician's house is just a very direct way of saying to both the politician and the public that we're taking the issues that affect us to heart um, and we're tired of their bullshit. So um, yeah, I, I love the concept of continuing the legacy of wide awakes throughout history and throughout time. And I, while of course we never want a world where we have to call out politicians for their bullshit, I think it's really fascinating and really um, kind of an honor to continue that legacy of like banding with other people in this movement and in any other movement to call attention to the bullshit of politicians. Um, so it's a very like on the ground, very quite literal action. It's There's nothing like Victoria said, it's not complicated. There is no like nuance to it. It's you go to someone's house and you literally wake them up. And I think the simplicity of wide awakes make them really accessible to the public and really allow the public to understand, okay, this is an issue that people are caring about. Um, and maybe it's one that I should look into as well if I'm not personally affected by it, so. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. This is like such a bizarre comparison. You could, I guess, compare this to a lot of different things, but I used to do music like professionally. And um, one of the things that just like really resonated with me that you both just said is, you know, it's something that these, you know, these people were doing in the abolition movement in the late 1800s, so a long time ago. And it's, it, it just like reminds me of the way that I used to think about like, you know, performing in an opera or something or like, you know, listening to a symphony, just like in the way that you're participating in that in something that was like written over a hundred, like a long time ago. But it's like, you know, the audience and or the performers were like experiencing and doing that thing, um, you know, that and so you have a connection with them. So we have a connection with the people 
in, um, you know, in a, a very different context, um, but just like this, this incredible connection with people that were fighting for justice, um, you know, 100 or 150 years ago. Um, so it's a really, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's definitely something that we want to work towards the future where we don't have to do this. Um, but just like, I really feel, you know, you feel a strong connection with the folks that um, were doing this so long ago for their very important fights that they were fighting back back in the day. So I guess like what I, I'd want to ask Victoria, um, what do you think like if you were to explain to someone that maybe is confused as to why groups like Sunrise do actions, that sort of thing, like what is the purpose, um, do you think like more broadly of doing an action like this or like actions in general? Um, so first of all, actions are a really great way to draw attention. The whole point is to disrupt daily life in order to draw focus onto something that's being ignored or overlooked. Um, and so I, I think protest is one of the purest forms of democracy. It is the constituents getting out in the streets because they care, not because somebody's paying them, not because, um, you know, I don't, not because like it's immediately profitable for them even, you know, sometimes it's about like schools getting cut, like funding cuts and people who don't have children in the school system are still mad about that. And so it's a way to like clearly demonstrate what you think should happen politically when there isn't an election coming up um, or leading up to an election to show people an argument one way or another. Um, and so, you know, direct actions have historically been something America does, um, from the Boston Tea Party to uh, slave revolt to minors' rights to the civil rights movement. Um, yeah, and abolitionists in the 1800s. Uh, and I think it's, yeah, actions have always been a part of what we do. And it's always a good reminder that, like, this is an ongoing fight for liberation and there's going to be you know 20 something year olds you know 100 years from now also picking up the fight and tackling the issues that are happening then yeah it's just incredible how strong of a lever of power like actions can be and it's something there there's something that like you know there, there are lots of levers of power that like we can pull as citizens as like working class citizens and of course the vote is one of them but that one gets like you know of course i advocate for people to vote and to vote strategically um but it's just one of several levers of power that we have and it definitely gets like an outsized emphasis because i think that it like it's it's a more like tolerable form of democracy for like the status quo you know because like one vote it matters but like it doesn't have i i think that you know like strategic actions like mass mobilizations of people like a lot of people sustained over time that is an incredibly powerful lever of power for um for the working class and it's something that they don't necessarily want to tell us about <laughs> you know it's why we don't i i mean at least in my experience with with what i've learned um you know they don't necessarily explain that to us in school in the ways that they talk about voting and i think it's because you know at the end of the day it's like the people writing the textbooks you know, we could get into the nitty gritty of like how they come from Texas and like very conservative groups, um, getting a little in the weeds here. But, you know, I, I, they're, they're just other levers of power that we need to be pulling as the working class if we want to do something like win a Green New Deal 
or, you know, fight for Medicare for all or for, you know, abolition, those sorts of things and this world that we're all fighting for. So, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, Isabella, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to this in terms of like mass movements and like why Sunrise is pushing for that? Yeah, I think that could be a whole podcast. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's all like woven in. <laughs> yeah, mass movements are critical to any sort of systematic change in society. And that's a fact. Um, and I think, you know, voting is important. I'm not saying voting isn't important. Please vote. Yes. Vote, like, if you can vote, 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 vote. Um, but voter disenfranchisement does exist, specifically in um, Black communities, working class communities, other communities of color, immigrant communities. Like, it's, you know, people who were in prison at one point and are not eligible to vote at this, at this point in their lives. And I think people sort of, especially in this moment, are treating voting as a sort of fix to everything. In reality, um, it's going to just take more than a vote. Um, and I think what's so significant about actions is you're literally using your body, right? You're on the streets, on the ground, using your time, your energy, your body um, for a, some sort of goal or change. And you're not doing it alone. You're doing it alongside other people. And I think that just very physical nature of actions really speaks to a message that's strong, that's clear. And that lets people in power know that folks are willing to give up a lot at, at some points in their lives to fight for their basic rights that they should have, but they don't have because people in power haven't, you know, allowed them to have their rights. So, um, yeah, and I think um, just the fact that they're just so much more physically um, oriented is just really, and you can't have actions online, obviously, like you can, have virtual, we have, we have seen this in COVID, like calling people and um, building relationships virtually, distance, whatever. But I think like, you know, when we're talking about mass movements, like people on the streets, like that speaks to a lot. So once again, this is like a whole episode, a whole podcast, but I think the very like visceral and visible nature of mass movements, um, we have seen actually are what attain the change needed to like remedy centuries of oppression. Um, I can't remember the actual statistic. One of y'all might have to help me out with this, but Sunrise, when I was in a training, Sunrise talked about how it takes, I think it's like 3%. It's 3.5% of a population. It's 11 million in this country. Thank you. Yeah, 11 million. Basically, this sociologist did this like huge meta study of like social movements across the world and determined that it took about 3.5% of the population to achieve like tangible change and social change. And that's what we're shooting for at Sunrise. So it's a huge number, but also like, I think it's a number that's definitely doable, especially with the growing support of young people and other supportive groups. So yeah, just wanted um, to bring that statistic up. Another thing that makes me hopeful with that is like, we see Sunrise partnering with the Dream Defenders and with Song and with Black Lives Matter. And we see this coalition forming um, so it's not like Sunrise has to get all 11 million people, but when we work together and we move behind something, that's just incredibly powerful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all these, all these different movements are, it's, it's, it draws on how we're all interlocked, how we're all connected. All of these forms of justice are so deeply tied together. Um, so at the end of the day, we're fighting for essentially the same thing. It's like justice for people who have been marginalized in one way or another, or it's basically every, 
pretty much most most people other than like the one percent <laughs> um it's like it's the working class it's the proletariat in not only this country but the entire world you know it's like um you know we always have to be in you know this is something I really try to stress, but like looking globally with this fight for justice and not just within the US. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are all interlocking forms of justice that we're fighting for. Um, and yeah, it's like, however, whatever resonates most with people, like if, you know, if someone is working with song, working with Black Lives Matter, like volunteering with us at sunrise, like um, at the end of the day, we're all fighting for essentially the same thing, or at least we should be <laughs> at the, if we're doing it right, then we're all fighting for the same thing. So it's yeah. important also to think about is like, oh, well, the wide awake action we did only had X number of people. What did it do? But like you build up to people power, right? You don't automatically just achieve it. So right. I think that's what I see the value in actions like the wide awake, right? Like you're building up to a point and calling out people and targeting people along the way, i.e. Lamar Alexander or other politicians or, you know, corporations in massive amounts of power. So it's like, yeah, you're along the way to sort of achieving those 11 million people on the streets. Like you're building relationships and like making change along the way. So just wanted to point out the significance of like, you know, a smaller scale action like a wide awake. I mean, it, it does matter. And the people who look at it and learn about it, remember that kind of action. They don't forget about it. So totally, totally. And it like, you know, the the power of like me media narratives. That's why we focus so much on narrative here at Sunrise. Like, you know, the attention that it can get afterwards. We tried to really push it out afterwards. And there were people that saw it that had no idea that otherwise it would, that would have been happening. It got a decent amount of traction on social media. And so, you know, the people that saw this type of really disruptive action, again, as Victoria said, like in the middle of an, in the middle of the night against senator alexander like that's extremely disruptive and it's like a different sort of action and that like is going to resonate with some people out there and it's going to draw people in people get drawn in you know on their own timelines and you know it's every little bit helps so moving forward a little bit how in you know in your in both of your impre like your your thoughts just of the broader context of why we chose to do this about the supreme court like I mean, I think probably all of our listeners understand why the Supreme Court matters so much, but <laughs> um, let's just touch on that a little bit. That could also be its own episode for sure. Um, but why was this so crucial for us to be doing at this time? Like, what's at stake with this Supreme Court vote? And like, what should we be pushing for in terms of what the Supreme Court's future should look like if we actually want to like have a just system even though we we don't right now but we don't want it to become more unjust than it already is so what do you both think about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like wade is like going across my right now. yes well, yeah and then like workers rights come workers to mind rights. i feel like those always get pushed to the side and people don't talk to them i think because it doesn't affect white people as much or they're like to believe it doesn't affect them as much. Um, because I would argue it absolutely does. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I really think about workers' rights a lot and how like we are in the middle of a pandemic um, leading like for-profit companies are gonna wanna exploit workers and risk having them be sick in order to continue making money. And that means we're having a recovering economy, which means if people aren't getting paid enough, they're gonna, you know, 
get evicted or have to move in with other family members or generally just like taking money out of the economy um and it's clearly not a sustainable model to cut workers off from resources yeah, yeah. and you're tying into that workers rights is like treatment of corporations in the nation like corporate welfare corporate regulations obviously citizens united like that's a huge example of um you know the court saying okay corporations will treat you like people you know you're you have this apparent humanity on you like your power matters when in reality like corporate welfare feeds into workers rights and workers rights and justice more specifically so um and i think yeah i mean i i don't want to launch into like an ap government <laughs> like why the court matters but <laughs> We know that it matters and we know that these people are appointed for a lifetime as of right now. And that's, that's potentially 40, 50 years with the newest nominee. That's a long time. That's like, we're talking about climate change on the scale of a decade right now. Like thinking 40, 50 years out is almost impossible for me personally. And um, even if we flip the Senate and elect Joe Biden, the court, you know, if they manage to squeeze in, um bear it within these next few months that's a huge 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 thing because they can strike down whatever the court would then be very far right right or leaning right at least in most circumstances and i think far right, far right yeah, at that point <laughs> that's just um, my opinion <laughs> yeah um and could then strike down most decisions or blood pieces of legislation i.e like anything that tries to achieve some sort of change that's not right leaning so um and the reason that, you know, we target people like Alexander is because this will leave a mark on their legacy, right? But it's also going to leave a mark on our futures. Um, a huge, I don't even like the word mark. It's going to leave a significant impact on my life, your life, everyone's life. Listening, some more than others, like Victoria was saying, like workers' rights are, would be significantly impacted more than they already have been. People in marginalized um, positions also would like be more affected than other people but it's going to affect every person in this nation in some way or another and you know their their welfare so um yeah so targeting the people who have the power to stand up and say no is really critical i think accountability is a key term i think of when i think of lamar and his you know his dedication to confirming yeah. Amy Barrett. yeah he said yeah. years ago you would take the people's votes into consideration well you should probably take them into account now yeah and it's a it's like uh this is a whole other conversation it's like with with hypocrisy i mean hypocrisy it just essentially they, they they're gonna do it anyway <laughs> it just reveals an ideology at the end of the day like it doesn't really matter to them which is very frustrating um but i think that i mean you touched on a lot of really important things and for the folks that are going to be affected by the Supreme Court nomination, which, as both of you said, is everybody, <laughs> you know, it's like pretty, pretty much everybody in, in the country is going to like experience some sort of negative impact, which is, um, you know, I feel confident in saying that because most people in this country are working class. And so and so everybody that's working class, every, you know, everyone that is, um, you know, not white, <laughs> straight, cis individual. Um, affluent, you know, wealthy individual um, is going to, even if it's on a, an unnoticeable scale or very noticeable scale is going to be impacted by this. Um, and it's such a long legacy. And there's so many points to touch, but like, 
it's frustrating because, and I love how both of you had touched on workers' rights, because I think, as Victoria said, that so often gets overlooked. And I don't want to minimize the incredibly horrible impact that like getting rid of Roe v. Wade would have or getting rid of the ACA. I mean, I have healthcare because of the ACA. Of course, I want Medicare for all, but like we also can't negate how important the ACA is to so many people in this country. And we could just go down a laundry list of, of things. I mean, environmentally, I mean, that's a, that's a whole laundry list on its own, um, the impacts that like the Supreme Court nomination would have. And all of those are monumentally important but like you know with something like Roe it's frustrating because I think that a lot of the people in this country that are like you know conservative and fighting for essentially just like tax cuts at the end of the day they don't there are people in this country that do but they don't really care about Roe they like throw that out there to like as like red meat for like conservative people in this country to get riled up about and to really they've the conservatives in this country over like the past 40 years or so have really pushed court nominations as something is like that's what turns Republicans out to vote is like the threat or the promise of court nominations. And, um, and that's something that they've done a really good job <laughs> at pushing and like the, the liberals, Democrats, left, whatever in this country have not done a good job of like creating a narrative around that. And, um, and at the end of the day, it's like the people at the top that are pushing that that are feeding it down through something like Roe. Um, are they don't care about that they care about more money for themselves through the form of like um you know corporate tax cuts and things that like court decisions that don't get as much media attention but that have put us in this fucking mess so um yeah i just had to get that, i just had to get that off my chest because it's like of course those like social issues are are going to have horrible ramifications on their own but like there's a lot that goes unseen about the court which i think is really powering the ideology behind all of this and it's like put us in this sort of like late stage capitalist mess so you know yeah. victoria i can see you have something to say about that <laughs> yeah well i just think um and i saw a twitter thread by brie newson based on oh, she's, um, so she's so amazing on twitter so you know props to her but she basically took a lot of jumbled thoughts that I had in my head and put them down and then added extra because she's amazing of talking about how like you know you're talking about voting earlier and direct actions earlier and how the left is like oh I'm not going to vote because I don't want to feed into the system or you should vote voting's the answer you know voting will cure all of your woes and the reality is it takes a billion different strategies all at once um and so Republicans have like not been fighting over which strategy is best. And um, because we, because the way that our government is set up, we have disproportionately conservative representation. Um, and so one way that, you know, liberals and leftists have been able to overcome that over the past, um, you know, 70 decades-ish uh, is Court, or test litigation. Um, so basically using the courts to overturn laws that they believe to be unjust, mm -hmm. which works if you have a fair and balanced court system, although I would argue that's not ever possible. Um, yeah. What is fair and balanced under whose view, um, especially when, you know, it's been historically one person has had power and they think that their view is objective because other issues don't affect them. Um, and so 
that worked for a long time when we had a court system that was functional, but Republicans have set their eye on the long-term game, which involves packing the courts as mm-hmm. fast as possible um, and with as far left candidate or as far right candidates as possible. Um, and, and young. And young. And the Democrats are still arguing about which talking points that they should be focusing on right. during the presidential election. And so it's like, y'all just shut up and stop trying to pick one tactic or one solution and just like everyone get to work with what they enjoy doing and with the methods that they think will work in their community. Yeah, yeah, it's it's extremely frustrating to watch. <laughs> um, I'm just going to stop it there because there's like so much, so much to unpack that like frustrates me about that. Um, what do you both think, and this could be a whole conversation on its own, but what do you think like the, we should be push, pushing like as the left when it comes to the future of the Supreme Court? Like I'll just throw out my opinions and see what you think. And like, if you have different opinions or something in addition to this, but um, that it, and it could be both, but like that it either needs to be delegitimized, which I think it's on its way. <laughs> like I think it's definitely on its way to being delegitimized um, because it's, you know, it, it's a partisan institution now. And I, I don't think that it was ever possible for it to not be, but now it's so overt that it's just like a joke essentially. Um, so like there's a certain amount of delegitimization that I think the ball is already rolling on that and that it is, you know, that, no matter what we do, <laughs> it's going to be delegitimized in the future, like completely. Um, so I'm curious to see like how that all turns out. Um, but I think that it honestly is Im- important for, and we need to be strategic about how we go about this in the future, but I think it's important for it to be delegitimized because otherwise, you know, all of these rights are going to be trampled on and we're going to be in a further, in a more serious bind than we already are if we keep things the way they are. Like there's literally nothing good that will come of this for most people in this country. So th- so what are we going to do? Either de- delegitimize it and or pack the court, um, which I think that like, you know, both of those are things that can work in tandem. Um, and it's, it's kind of, I know it's like kind of a scary thing to think about, but like the alternative is way worse. So what do you both think, or have you given that any thought as to like what you think the future of the court should be? Yeah, I mean, it's really stressful to think about. And I think what's also yeah. hard just to put in the mix for people who like don't know the ins and outs of government, like it's sometimes just really overwhelming to think about this because they're like, <laughs> might be too in the weeds. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think that what you're talking about is extremely important, but I think a lot of people just don't even want to think about it, you know, because yeah, it's just. I don't. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I mean, I. I agree with what you said, Cassie. I think those are the kind of the two things we should think about packing the court and then how it has become. And it is really just delegitimized at this point. I think that though, even if it is not as necessarily quote unquote legitimate, it still has like inordinate amounts of power. And like, even if it's partisan, like it's partisan. Okay, cool. Let's go ahead and still make decisions and infringe on workers' rights, you know, really affect reproductive health care um, in radical, not radical, right? it is in a good way, but in a bad way, right. in really radical ways. Um, I think this is where I see actions coming into place, right? Like you can't really directly vote for a Supreme Court justice or for or against a Supreme Court justice. So I think direct action is really going to have to come into play as a response to decisions made by the court, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Because when all else fails, 
or when things are failing, you take to the streets and is sort of what I firmly believe in. And if you have the capacity to do that, I think that's a way to respond and a way to make change. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The words constitutional amendment just like give me a headache because it's like, that's been you used to do it all the time. Like, yeah, oh my God, it's a daily occurrence. <laughs> um, I mean, that's like, that requires like, I don't think it's impossible, but when you're working against a system that is just not made for most people, like it's mm -hmm. really hard to say, oh, well, let's just shoot for that. Or maybe that will happen because it's like, that's hardly ever, I don't I mean very, very, fairly few times in American history. So in recent history, it like used to happen more often, like yeah, back in the like, day, but like recent history, it's been <laughs> elevated, like to this thing that, oh, we can never touch the, and that's of course to benefit certain people. Like the fact that we're not changing the constitution is for a reason that like preserves the status quo, but we used to change it, not all the time, but like it's been changed many times over. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's recently, I think, I don't know what the most recent attempt was or I can't remember got closest to 1992. I just looked it up. Hey, oh, that's super helpful and illustrating. It doesn't happen. Ever. <laughs> that was the year after I was born. I'm dating yeah, myself. And I think this is why we're seeing how this two party system is not, it's just not working, right? Yeah. The Democrat, Republican, red, blue, and even the conservative liberal divide. It's like, I'm, I'm getting really sick of politics being portrayed as linear, right? Like you're either mm -hmm. this or that. And like, they're just never going to come together. I think we just need to start placing focus on humanity and human rights and what people fucking need. <laughs> um, <laughs> what so, a concept. Yeah, and it's hard because we just think of things as a, this, this discourse around the Supreme Court's going to be polarized and America's polarized. It's like, yes, it's polarized. Let's move past this idea of polarization. What do we yes. do about this, right? What, like, yeah. what that discourse, oh, sorry, not, go ahead. Like, not what political values, but what human values do we need to be working for at this point? So that was my little rant, sort of my little way of saying that I'm sick of people saying voting is kind of the only remedy, right? Because it's like the Supreme Court justices, even prior to if, you know, uh, Amy Coney Barrett gets appointed, they have a lot of power. And mm -hmm. we need to take action as a nation and as groups of people in response to their power because simply voting or staying in the know is, is not going to cut it. Yeah. I think Western culture, um, for some reason, is extremely focused on dichotomies, um, and that presents itself in literally every facet of our lives. And I think that, you know, ranked choice voting is often discussed amongst um, the, its, you know, advocates, but I think not enough of the public understands what that means. And I get even like, I even like the political grid, you know, like the little political tests that people take, I hate that thing because that's just like two axes. Like there's so much more to politics than two axes or one thing. There's, you know, people are all exceptions and they have weird beliefs about certain things that wouldn't necessarily, you would think line up with other ones. So it's very frustrating when people are like constantly trying to put boxes around, um, you know, it's this or that instead of saying, I want this, this, and this, and I don't want that aspect. So I'm going to vote for that politician because they're closest to me. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. It's like, 
I think it, that that's another thing that like the, the discourse of polarization has just become so incredibly useless and it's very frustrating for me to hear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my for thoughts exactly. Listening, I just made a I'm sick face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're all, we all just have like disgusted face, <laughs> faces. Um, Isabella's is especially good. Yeah. It's just, it's just become like a distraction essentially from the richness of individuals' own political ideologies, which Victoria just laid out really well. Um, people are not that simple. People, you know, we've been taught to play into this dichotomy. We've been taught to play this, you know, play, play literally, like, which is not good. This is like a team sport, which is these are people's lives that are at stake. And if we're able, of course, there are lots of, you know, there are cultural differences. There are, there's a lot of propaganda to break down. Um, with a lot of this, um, we can thank the Cold War for a lot of that. <laughs> and people are genuinely racist or homophobic, bigoted, whatever. Like, there's there are definitely barriers that that exist, you know, between people. Um, but I think that they are often just weaponized, and that they that we have a lot more in common overall <laughs> than we think that we do. And when we get to the root of a lot of these issues. You know, if you are able, which is, it's difficult, I'm not saying it's easy, but if you are able to have conversations with folks, like, um, who maybe disagree with you a little bit, like, politically, um, there's a lot of common bonds that we have, and I think just, like, getting through the mess that is politics and going to the issue like straight to the issues like my mom who's conservative like <laughs> you know sometimes when I'm able to like have a conversation with her about this stuff um when we're able to like actually get to the root of the issue and like kind of get past our own emotions um we really don't disagree on a whole lot like which is really bizarre because like she has a very different voting <laughs> she votes the polar opposite from me so anyway it's it's just I, I think that it's, it's a long-term thing. It's a long-term goal. Obviously, we need to rush the process as much as we possibly can because of things like climate change um, and other really pressing issues. But, um, but I think that this, this two-party system is just not really serving anybody. Yeah, I think I just, I'm getting, I think I hear as a young person, and I've heard this ever since the 2016 election, like the phrase, oh, well, we just need to come together. Like we need to transgress these boundaries, come together and then we'll be good. And it's like, okay, yeah, like coming together is important, but how do we move forward, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's why the word progressive really encapsulates beliefs is because it's this idea of moving forward, of, of continuing past just coming together. Um, I think phrases like civil discourse and having conversations, yeah, that's important, but what are you going to do with those conversations. And this is something we talk about all the time. It's not this like newfound concept that I'm bringing up, but also just, yeah, thinking about how with climate change, we're on a time frame here, right? Like, right. We're working <laughs> with, it, with the clock ticking and that makes things extremely stressful and very overwhelming. But I think also realizing there's just some ideologies you sometimes you just can't penetrate right and it, you just have to come together with the people who are willing to come together and do the best True. you can to fight hard I mean sometimes it's I think it's very irrational to say oh I can try rationalizing with someone who's incredibly racist homophobic especially people in power so at this point I think right. it's about finding those people on the ground who can do work alongside you and and using that power that's such a good yeah. way to put it yeah, that's why I am all about organizing on the local level. And I love that Sunrise is a national organization, but I love working with my hub even more. 
And um, yeah, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons I'm excited that we've endorsed Marquita Bradshaw is because like, you know, she's one of those people that cares about her community and has been boots on the ground, grassroots organizing um, for a long ass time. And I remember phone banking the other night and somebody hadn't heard of her. And she was like, you know, I was like, well, what's really important to you as a voter? And she was like, well, I really want people, you know, who care about their communities and who aren't trying to like do the, you know, normal political BS, but instead, you know, like actually be invested in people. And I was like, well, Marquita's 100% your candidate because that's her entire background. Yeah, absolutely. And that really ties it all together so well, because I mean, of course, we were protesting at Lamar's house because <laughs> of the Supreme Court. But who's running for that seat? Marquita. Marquita <laughs> 2020. Yes. Yeah. If you haven't heard of her, like, please, please, like, look her up. Um, she's a Green New Deal champion. She, uh, she's working class. She has, you know, roots in environmental activism for years and years and years in Memphis. And um, she was just, like, the one of the best things, honestly, to happen in 2020, I think. <laughs> like, at least in my, like sphere <laughs> just the fact that she won the primary so sunrise um you know we're, we're pushing really hard sunrise tennessee is pushing really hard to get her into office and we're phone if you know if there's anybody who's listening to this that wants to phone bank with us we're phone banking every thursday at 6 p.m central time <laughs> so just go to any one of our social media pages um you know sunrise tennessee and you can sign up or you can like you know send us a message you know via via this post like when we when we post this episode you can just send us a message if you want to join because we need as many people as possible organizing to get people like marquita into office so that we can usher in this political revolution that you know that that bernie has talked about for years and years but it's an old idea you know it didn't start with him um and but he popularized it recently <laughs> so listeners hopefully will resonate with that but you know that's that's one of the most important ways that we can make change, having mass movements of people organize, organizing around candidates like Marquita um, that will help us win a better future, getting those types of people into the positions of power where they can actually have, um, make a major difference. You know, I mean, there are only 100 senators in the country. <laughs> you know, having Marquita in office would be massive. So, um, yeah, any other thoughts on that? I mean, I think just by virtue of her organiz her organizing background, like she's a person and she has been affected by the very issues that she's standing up against. So um, obviously we always want to hold all of our politicians accountable, but yeah. I think she's the type of politician who we will be working with, not just like spending all of our energy holding accountable. Right. Yeah. yeah like a core value of our movement is no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. And so, which I think is, super important because like standing politicians can really come back to bite you in the ass um but you know i think that being ex having energy and being being excited around like truly good candidates like marquita is also incredibly valuable so just keeping that balance is good um but as isabella said she's definitely something that we would be able to work with and just like her history i mean her family like um has experienced environmental racism so she yeah, understands what via via the military industrial right. complex as well so right and that little aspect that nugget that's a, there. 
It's a good thing to highlight. Owen and I talked about that a lot on our last podcast. Um, just the that's another way that these issues interlock. I mean, not only is the military one of the greatest, biggest contributors to global emissions, um, but just the interlocking systems of you know system of capitalism between the fossil fuel industry and the military industrial complex is a. That's a whole it's thing. All related, and that's why you vote for Marquita. <laughs> <laughs> yes, action. thank you for keeping it simple. <laughs> it's all it's all like a mess, and it needs to be changed. It needs to be wiped out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if we don't get it, shut it down and join us along the way. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think we can wrap it up there. But um, thank you all so much for joining, Victoria and Isabella. I hope I, I like. I haven't been able to see, you know, like I've been playing it really safe during COVID. Um, my partner's immunocompromised, so like we, we play it super, super safe. Um, so I haven't seen many people like in person. Obviously, we're all masked and everything and outside, so it was safe. But it was just so, so good to see both of you and everybody else. I just felt so much power from both of you and just like being by both of you. Um, I really wish we could have hugged. I know. <laughs> I was feeling that so much. I was like, ah. Yeah. Thank you, Victoria, for just like coming and talking with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you both so much. And I hope to see you again sooner rather than later. Which side are you on?